Hey everyone, just a quick note that registration is now open for the American Craft Spirits Association's 10th Anniversary Distillers Convention and Vendor Trade Show. This February 10th through 12th, please join us in Portland, Oregon, where we'll celebrate 10 years of ACSA. Register now at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Thanks. But I will say it's the... Um... It's awesome to be in great company with a lot of the, what I'm going to call the old guard, the old craft distilleries in there who've known me and Blake when we were in literal grade school. It's really fun to be able to see those guys and, you know, how much the community is together. Um, and I hope that never changes. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program... Starlight, the next generation. Our guests today are distillers Christian and Blake Huber of Starlight Distillery and Huber's Orchard and Winery. The brothers are seventh generation members of their family farm in Borden, Indiana, a short drive across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. In July, the distillery's Carl T. Single Barrel Bourbon Whiskey earned Best of Whiskey and Best in Show at ACSA's ninth Annual Judging of Craft Spirits. In this episode, we talk about Starlight's single barrel program, how making wine influences Starlight's whiskey production, and growing up around the craft spirits industry. We chatted via Zoom in early September when the brothers were in the middle of grape harvesting season. But to kick things off, I asked Christian and Blake to take us back to New Orleans, and the night in late July when they claimed best of show at ACSA's judging competition. Christian jumps in here after my first question. I think you guys had just entered like two products, right? Like a brandy and a whiskey. So like what what were your expectations uh, as you're like sitting in that in that that big room at the convention center? Well, it's always fun. Like I said, we entered our apple brandy, our 10-year-old bottle and bond, of course, just one of our straight, uh, what we call it, just our standard black label single barrel bourbon. So, you know, we were going into it very optimistic. Um, we had no expectation. I was actually judging for the tails of the cocktail during the uh, during the entire show. So I was actually jumping between the um, Ritz Carlton judging and going to that. So uh, it was really fun to see everybody really quick. But you know what, it was, you're always kind of optimistic what you're going to win. You never know how your spirits are going to be judged and what they're up against. Um, with all competitions, you never know the flight going out, what yours will show like. So it's always, it's always optimistic to see what you did. Um, winning the silver for Brandy, we were super happy to go on stage and of course grab that medal. Um, but when it came to our, um, to our single barrel bourbon, it was really awesome and really unexpected to be able to get up there um, in such great honor with great company on stage with us to be able to receive that gold. Um, and then to receive the best in class was even you know, that much more uh, impactful for us. Like I said, we strive always to be the best in our class and be the best of craft American whiskey. Um, and like I said, as we push forward, you, you know, winning that best in class was one of our milestones that we've always wanted to capture. Um, and especially within our family, we wanted to be able to, uh, hold the values and show people what makes our bourbon difference. And receiving that was just one more step in the right direction. Um, but to receive best in show, that was really unexpected. I will say um, there's not many years, like I said, that we've been in the running, but for a bourbon to win best in show, it was like a, uh, 
it was a really cool honor and it was really awesome to have uh, Paul with you to be able to give that award knowing him since I was a kid. Um, so it was even that much better to be able to have him being able to represent. Um, but it was truly awesome to kind of see the passing the guard whenever it comes down to American Craft Spirits Association, it's the next generation too that's going to have to keep it alive and keep it going and keep it motivated to have that transition period and have that was really, I think, a, uh, a really an energizing moment, I hope, for the entire, you know, the entire crowd that was sitting there and being able to say that, you know, it's just not a craft whiskey boom. I mean, we're here to stay, we're here to grow, and we're here to, you know, help each other. I mean, a rising tide raises all ships, so we're really excited. And yeah, kind of, yeah elaborating off of that it's just really like christian said just such a honor to be recognized in that fashion both the best in class best in show and then our brandy also winning a medal just because we look around the room and seeing the growth in the industry over the years since we've been kind of younger and kind of have witnessed kind of the growth of acsa and some of these other trade organizations and the growth of the craft industry and look around and so many great products nowadays of so many great distillers and so many great people within the industry. It's such an honor to be able to be recognized as kind of that best in show. And as Christian mentioned before, it's just amazing just because your product kind of showcasing going through all those individual tastings. And for us, we, we really strive to make that kind of great product. We strive to make the best whiskeys, the best brandies and the best products overall. And it's just really great for, the team and then everybody throughout the di distillery and our retail and everything to have the distinction just because it's very uplifting. A lot of hard work goes into every product and we really love to see that recognition at the end of the day and have those kind of celebrations. Yeah. But I will say it's the, um, it's awesome being great company with a lot of the, what I'm going to call the old guard, the old craft distilleries in there who've known me and Blake when we were in literal grade school it's really fun to be able to see those guys and, you know, how much the community is together. Um, and I hope that never changes within the growing sector of what American bourbon, American rye is, and hopefully you no know, transitioning to American mall. It's awesome to see how close people are still. Um, as you get much bigger, you get a lot of what we call corporate policy, but within the craft industry, it's so exciting to be able to look, you know, standing on standing up on stage and being able to receive that award, but looking out to people who helped us who, you know, pioneered me and my brother and who really helped us understand and educate us when we're much younger. Yeah, so you, you hit on so many things there that I wanted to ask you about. For one, you know, you were mentioning Paul and for those who who, uh, who are listening and weren't there, that was Paul who let go of Few Spirits who was making the announcement for Best of Show. And, you know, he talked about uh, one of his oldest friends. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, some people might have thought, oh, Ted Huber's going to walk up here. But no, it's uh, your dad. You know, it's 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 you guys walking up there. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that that must be really cool that like you guys were younger and like around all these guys. And, and now, you know, from going, I guess, to like uh, sitting on the shoulders of giants, you guys are right there next to, to these guys. What's what's that deal like? It feels really good just to be kind of having such great mentors throughout the industry and such great leaders, somebody like Paul, my father, and all these other great individuals out there. It's just such an opportunity to get to learn from some of the best and to showcase what craft distillation is and the true passion throughout the industry, just because it's not built by one individual. 
the entire industry makes what craft is. And to showcase to the consumer the highest quality out there is something that's going to drive them to come back. And we always strive for everybody else throughout the industry, too, because like Christian mentioned, kind of a rising tide raises all ships. If everybody can showcase kind of those best of the best and be strong, you can really advocate for each other, build that network and really raise a lot of different ships up at the same time and have so many different great unique products because that's what craft is, is having that uniqueness. Like Christian said, being a larger corporation, you don't have that more unique quality, that artisanal kind of ship that's really drives to what the organization is. And you showcase so many great products throughout that and so much great kind of ingenuity throughout the industry. And going way, way back whenever I was, you know, I was 12, 11, um, you know, the reason why Starlight Distillery is today was, you know, Paul was one of those, but Dave Pickerel was one of the guys I remember growing up that really pioneered with my father, the mash bills. Uh, Dave's the one who actually had, you know, helped us get Lisa Wicker. Now she's over a course at Widow Jane, but getting Lisa Wicker in here to help us. I mean, those, those are the people and those are the mentors that really helped me and Blake take. We wouldn't be standing here 26 and what, 24 years old, being able to talk about, you know, different, I mean, we can get into the whole barrel chemistry and different flavor profiles that we go after later, but we wouldn't be here today without those people standing in front of us. And it's the entire community that, you know, builds off each other. You know, it's that shared, you know, that shared knowledge that makes us and makes this industry so different and makes it so great. And so what I'm going to call energizing, it's not draining. It's fun to be in every room full of people who want the same goal is to make great, great products for the end consumer. And, and I want to get into to a little bit more of your, your backgrounds and educations in a, in a little bit too, but um, I do want to get back to the whiskey that won best of show. And I, I know that you only had uh, one whiskey entered because I was, I was there at the judging as a steward. And I, I actually went back at, at some point and looked at the, like the sheet again, but I'm curious, did we technically name it wrong? I, it would, it should have been named Carl T, you know, single barrel house <clears throat> select. And then that's just kind of how we had it. I don't remember what it was actually. Cause I think, I think I'm holding, it's hard to see for you guys. Cause I've got the blur on, but it's, it's this guy, right? Yes, that yeah. is correct. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to make sure. Uh, and I have this uh, because at the, if, at the end of the judging, when there's all these bottles open, uh, I, I guess because of like, you know, laws that are way over my head, we can't just pack up open bottles and then like send them to the convention. Um, and I happen to drive. Uh, and so I, I, I grabbed this not knowing at the time that it was the best of show. Uh, and so then it's just kind of been in my basement for a while. And then uh, one day I was like, wait, a I think that's like, that's the one. Um, so lucky for me, uh, <laughs> um, and I, I've, I've was sipping on it again last night and it's just beautiful, but I'm, I'm hoping that you could kind of just talk a little bit about the single barrel program, if not specifically, you know, this exact, uh, bottle, but, you know, when, and when I was there in December of last year, you know, I remember seeing a lot of different, like single barrel, uh, offerings from you all and like, one of them might have, you know, Christian, I'm assuming that's the C right there on that bottle is for you. And, you know, I might've seen a D and a Blake as well. So uh, a D and a, a T and a B is what I meant to say uh, for Ted and Blake. So just 
talk, talk me through kind of like the the 10,000 foot overview of, of the single barrel program for you all. Well, at Starlight, we take a very different approach when it comes to American bourbon, American rye. And that's really what we specialize in. Um, we make this concept of making the best whiskey every day. We don't try to go after a homogenous, you know, whiskey blend. And I'll go into what that means um, in a little bit. But even the individual cooks, I mean, every single day we do the cook to the individual field coming in, the individual grains coming in. And everything is done by taste for us. The fermentation, we're smelling them. We're going in there. We're doing chemistry analysis on every one of our tanks every single day, seeing the drop of bricks, making sure our pHs are structured. But even like our still, Vendome Brass and Copper set us up on a, on a still setup that everything is cut by hand, not by machine. So we make the head cut every single morning by head or by taste. And same thing with the hearts and tails. So it depends on the distiller running that. That's why you get that C, T, and B uh, on those labels. Jesse, our master distiller, um, our first cousin, Ryan, um, our new um, our new distiller, Connor Ballard, who comes from Luxco, um, or should say, I guess it's NGPI at this point, now bottom out. But Connor Ballard just joined our team a while ago. Um, and Jason Halligenberg within our brandy portfolio. But everybody is doing that by taste. But everyone has their own unique profiles. Um, now, I'll be completely honest. I'm a Heaven Hill guy, right? At the end of the day, when I'm not drinking Starlight, I'm drinking Elijah Craig. I think it's one of the best deals of whiskey right now. You know, Blake would probably say Four Roses, if I'm not mistaken. But when it comes down to it, you know, we're looking at different flavor profiles that we love. Um, so each of us are making those individual cuts. And how we do proofing every single day. I mean, we're 108 to 125 for entry proof. Uh, we take a beaker and we proof you know, down at 125, 120, 115, 110, 105. And it'll say we like it at 115, then we'll go 116, 117, 118, 119, um, until we find something that we think are really balanced. Um, to make it even more complicated, we have seven main cooperages. You know, some of the classics, Kelvin Char 4, Kelvin Char 3, Toasted Head, Charred Head. Um, going into more of the, um, on the car, artisanal wine uh, barrel makers like Sagumin Row or Canton where we're doing heavy toast char ones, toasted heads and charred heads, but also going up to five-year American air-dried wood. So it all depends on the structure of who's running the still at what time. And we all have still space to be able to do that and being able to do those individual um, runs. And we sign our name off on every single barrel. So four, five, six, 10 years later, we look back and you know we're proud about it. And that actually helps our team have a lot of motivation so they can see what they ran down the road you know, it's a, you know, a great motivational factor, but also a good learning technique. I mean, none of us make perfect whiskey at the end of the day. Uh, it's kind of funny. We'll be out in the rickhouse tasting something. I'll taste something I made five years ago. I'm like, what am I thinking? Or what was I doing? But, you know, it's all learning at the end of the day. But making the individual whiskey or the best whiskey of every day is really our artisanal, you know, touch to it. But also making our single barrel portfolio incredibly broad. I mean, when you're in here selecting a barrel, you know, you can go through our Kelvin profiles or our Zach profiles, our Canton profiles, or Sugar Monroe, and they're all very different. But at the end of the day, for those who are listening that want to understand, we blend like a winery, taking different profiles and blending them together to make a homogenous whiskey at the end of the day for our blends. It's just not taking row 17, taking that 80 barrel lot, dumping it and making it a homogenous whiskey. You know, we're taking certain lots from different seasons, different mash bills and blending for homogenous whiskey for our blends. It's, yeah, it'd be like kind of coming from a winemaker's background for both of us having more 
kind of heavy education strictly into that winemaking mm -hmm. kind of great growing portfolio. You think as a winemaker, each vintage has kind of great variations within, especially us in a cool climate region, kind of as we are here in Southern Indiana, you kind of go through these kind of peak, kind of these valleys and peaks that you find within there. And some years you'll have these kind of more ripe, kind of heavier fruit on some of your red wines, whereas other years you have much more kind of that tart, bright fruit within there, less of that tannin, tannic structure. And whenever you're blending that, you're bringing together different varietals, different coopers and different kind of profiles within those coopers that you're trying to find what that best blend of that each year is and for us making something like our standard 92 proof kind of bourbon uh we're bringing together this kind of large array of toolbox to whereas we're not kind of pinpointing ourselves and having one kind of cooper one profile across the board we have so much more wide variety and uniqueness and it's always fun sometimes when uh, our clients come out here single barrel or we have some visitors come through to taste even from the same day taste the same whiskey going into two different barrel coopers at that mm -hmm. time even though both of them might be char number three and both actually could be toasted heads how differently that is changing within the whiskey over the years of aging and that's just due to location of the wood and I always like to say that even with kind of back then in especially in different kind of areas, even in French Oak, they have forest designation, but even within that forest, there's so much variation. There's so much different growth habits between these particular oak yeah. trees within there that you're going to derive so much more different flavor profiles. And unless you're actually going through and scanning the chemical composition of each individual one of those staves, you're going to just have such a dramatic difference and then how that cooper actually ages that wood, prepares that barrel, is going to matter differently. And Christian kind of touched on the upfront part of how we actually take that kind of science behind and really looking at these different cuts that we're making on the still, figuring out what the different flavors are, because we can run the same mash bill for a while, but how that kind of changes throughout the weeks, how those fermentations actually went through some that are cleaner, some that are a little bit more harsh and how we're actually going to translate that to the distillate that goes into the barrels matters a lot upon our taste profile and what we're kind of going through at that particular week. And as well as the Cooper that we have in at the time kind of impacts our decisions on making some of these different proofing that we've seen over the years, certain proofs work better in different barrel profiles. And we kind of touch and bring all that together and kind of tie that into a bow to make, kind of in our sense, hopefully make that best whiskey. Yeah. And I will say something really important too. I mean, the good thing with our father before us, Lisa, or whoever has been running the stills prior to us, I mean, it's keeping records and data. I mean, we can look back at individual barrel lots and I can tell you the field of corn it was pulled out of. You see the moisture trim on that corn. You see the moisture trim on the rye. And it's really important for us at the end of the day to capture that data um, and being able to extrapolate that into a winning formula for our whiskeys. And we've been, you know, tailoring in every single year what our key match bill is, uh, which is great. So we know it on a 500-gallon uh, Vendome uh, pot. But as we're now, uh, you know, going through the works on buying another uh, continuous column, that's going to be different. And, you know, for us, it's always about, continuing to experiment, innovate, and figure out what runs best on our systems and in our warehouses. 
Um, because like Blake was touched on climactic variation, even within our four or our four uh, warehouses here on site, uh, we have some that are a little higher in elevation than others, and some get you know sun all day, some get shaded by some trees. So it's really fun to see how you know even that plays into the factor of aging. Yeah, that and and you guys bring up the winemaking, and I I know you both studied viticulture and enology in in college, uh, and it makes me wonder like what. What kind of distillers do you think you would be if you didn't have that background? You know how, because I think for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people might just hear like, oh, uh, you know, they were winemakers, but that that's not, doesn't have anything to do with. I think there's a, when you think of winemaking versus distillation, winemaking is a delicacy in the sense of things. There's a lot more things that could happen during the winemaking process for distillation we're not worried about oxidation i mean we worry about flavor fermentations but everything i'm not to say this as a bad way is rougher with the distillation side of things dealing with grains there's more rough and tough the cooking process dealing like i mentioned hotter fermentation temperatures you're not really as closely looking at some of these different factors and making sure you're having that consistent drop in sugar level, yeah. making sure you're having that quality ester production. That does all matter with distillation, but winemaking, if something does go dramatically wrong, that's that's your one chance to do that. Yeah. For that, if grape harvest happens that one time a year, you're bringing that in, that particular varietal or anything. And if you have something go south on you, yeah. You're not going to represent what that particular varietal is at the time, whether it's oxidation, whether it's some kind of bacterial, acetic acid bacteria, lactic acid bacteria that might spoil that. And coming over from the winemaking perspective, we both did a lot of sensory analysis. And just in the kind of the scheme of the world of kind of some beverage alcohol, there's a lot of kind of research and other things done and a lot of tasting perspectives done on the wine side of things, sommeliers, yeah. masters of wine. There's always these really high-end kind of tasting profiles for wines and spirits have really grown over the years and there's a lot more detail going into it now, but wine has been around for a little bit longer in terms of some of that higher level analysis, that higher level kind of yeah. education aspect. And coming from a wine background, we take some of those nuances of what we're actually tasting, smelling for, and bringing that over to the spirits world. And like I mentioned, some of our philosophies, some more of our kind of techniques that we do deal with some of these kind of traditional winemaking aspects. Yeah, that will be you know, straight out with it. I mean, I think Starlight, the reason why it was what it is today is because of winemaking philosophy. But I mean, the things we look at and the things we hypercritically look at are things that a lot of distillers don't, you know, necessarily look at all the time using oak as one, right? I mean, it's just not, you know, char four barrels and putting them up off it goes. I mean, even looking at different Saccharomyces or VCAs during your fermentation, fermentation temperatures i mean all that is done you know on a day-to-day for us in the wine side of things right um so it's one of those things that for us it was something that that has set us apart very 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 often even taking the terms of single vineyard going into the single fields right you know that was a concept terroir driven you know we always say we make terroir driven whiskeys and the word terroir was never really used in american bourbon or american rye 
mostly because they're what we're going to talk about the terroir of you know a massive amount of cornfield spread out between the midwest it's, it's and i would say terroir has always been in the urban industry i mean that's yeah. why traditionally a lot of people have recognized Kentucky as that yeah. kind of overarching aspect of things is that's because that's where kind of bourbon had settled and that's where a lot of things come together. The kind of climate here, yeah. the grains being around here, the water source, all these different factors incorporate into that. And I would say it's always been there, but now there's a lot more knowledge. There's a lot more education and advocation for that difference within whiskeys and that kind of bringing of what it is. And people are interested more to learn in what kind of grains go in these whiskeys. Why am I tasting what I'm tasting and really diving more into depth on these different uh, factors that impact that final product, that final brown product that sits in front of somebody at the end of the day. And those craft consumers that are buying our whiskeys throughout the industry, doesn't matter who you are, they're very, very knowledgeable and they're striving for that geeky data. And that's why at Starlight, like, that's why we try to give it to everybody. We want people to come on site and truly understand what sets us apart. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, we're family owned for over 179 years. I mean, me and Blake are the seventh generation of the entire facility. But, you know, it's our sustainability and our agriculture that has set us apart from a lot of different people. When you're on site, I mean, you can literally go out there right now. We have five different types of non-GMO corn growing out there. Uh, we have one white pioneer variety that's uh, currently going we have a blue and then we have a red um and you can go out you can go down you can shuck them you can see how different the corns look like even between the yellow dents i mean it's crazy most people think corn is corn is corn but when you drive around and seeing these different sets it's completely different i mean you can go into rye like that and then when they come into the still house they're all very different they have different moisture temperatures and they cook differently so being able to give that those kind of details to the consumer and then see it at five, six years later in the rickhouse as a single girl, that's when that magic aha moment kind of hits for people, I think. Yeah. And it, it is such a cool uh, place to drive up to uh, just the whole, the farm and the, the it's like a, I, I, when I drove up there, I think it was, there was also like people buying Christmas trees and you have a cafe and an event center. Uh, so uh, people should go visit. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, as like kids in middle high school, college, even, uh, how many moments were they where you thought I'm, I'm not going to stay on this path and be part of this, this family business, uh, or, or did that not happen? And, and, and if it did, like what, what brought you back? Well, I'll kind of go first. Um, so I went to school in Ontario, Canada. I did my viticulture analogy up there um, in Niagara Lake, right? Middle of ice wine country, um, so to speak. I moved to Southern Italy and worked for the Catina Paolo family in Lecce, um, where I worked um, kind of a vineyard, kind of seller job. And then straight out to California, where I worked for uh, Domaine Chandon under the Louis Vuitton, Louis Hennessy belt. And then Bruce and Dennis Cakebread for the Cakebread family. And then finally, Joseph Phelps Vineyards. Um, very weirdly, you asked that. I've always wanted to be in the you know wine spirit or the alcohol world in some shape or fashion. Um, our parents were very different. Um, they actually strived us to stay away from the family business. Um, they were very different. I mean, for those in family business, which is a lot of the craft industry, you work with your family. Um, it's hard. 
I mean, you work more than, you know, typically would anywhere else and you're put up to a level that is far greater than just working a normal job. Um, and that was something to consider, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm going to speak on let you do yours. I was, you know, ultimately passionate about doing my own, you know, your own way. It's, it's different whenever you're working on your own family's project or you're working on your own whiskeys or you're working on your own wines or what have you, or if you're thinking about getting into it, there's nothing more fulfilling than watching your baby come to market. Even, you know, five, six years later, I'm watching, you know, whiskey I made, you know, Christmas Eve of 2017 right now. Right. And it's a time and place that's captured within those moments. Blake, you can talk about your graduation lot. Yeah. And so, I mean, in kind of the aspect to going off to college, I went to Cornell University for my viticulture and enology for four years. And I graduated as well. And then, like I mentioned, like Christian mentioned before, our parents never pushed us to come back to the business. It was always what is best for you and what is going to make you the happiest in your life is what you're going to go off and do. And really, I thought about that all throughout high school. And that's something as we really, I mean, even late grade school, high school, really started to get more interactive. The distillery started, the bigger distillery that expansion we had in Indiana with legislation changes that occurred happened in 2013 for us and the still house opening up and really working more of that towards kind of my mid high school years really even drove my interest more in the distillation and then always being around the wine industry we've been ever since we could uh really yeah. work we've been around vineyards we've been working out in the vineyards it's always fun for us to see days we'd go to kind of grade school and see them out harvesting the grapes we never really wanted to go to school we always wanted to stay home and yeah. help out see that kind of aspect of things and for me, I, I've always had a great interest in the beverage alcohol industry. I've always been a big science person myself, science and chemistry. And so I really wanted to dive more into depth over that through my four years. And going out to California was a great opportunity for me as well to get away and see how a different kind of industry operates out there. Napa Valley, obviously, being kind of that premier wine destination in the United States and working for such a great uh, uh, organization like uh, Domaine Chandon and as well as Dominus have really kind of pushed me and pushed my knowledge and really helped me see a different aspect of the industry, have a kind of be able to network with a lot greater, really just great people in the industry. And I always have those contacts for the future that you can reach out and always be able to ask for advice and other opinions on things and now coming back to our family business full-time like Christian said there's always challenges there's always other aspects of things going on you're always have a lot to juggle but at the end of the day like you mentioned it's a really great kind of uh, uh, satisfaction when you're able to see some of these products and some of these great things get to work with such a great team that we have that we have here and to see these great products come to market and having consumers enjoy them each and every day, which really drives us to keep going forward and to continue doing our kind of best each and every day. And I will say we're ultimately lucky to be so close to Louisville, Kentucky. And as you know, we're located literally 20 minutes from downtown. It takes me 20 minutes to get to the Gold House, 20 minutes to get to the Brown Hotel. So when you're talking about being in bourbon country, we're as close as you can get without being on the Kentucky side of the river. We're just on the Indiana side. Um, 
but being surrounding yourself with quality people who, you know, know what they're doing. For instance, we were out to dinner a few weeks ago and just walking into seeing Mark and Sherry Carter from old Carter or seeing the Hendersons out to dinner, right? You know, you're surrounded with people who have the same goal and growing up in that kind of environment, seeing, you know, those guys come up and it reminds me of a story when, I mean, I was 13, you would have probably been 11 or 10. Like Dave Pickerel just asked us when we were having dinner at our house. Um, this was at um, one of the judgings, you know, way before. And he goes, what kind of whiskey do you want to make when you get older? You know, we were that young and he's teaching us about like, oh, you want to do a high rye? Why is that? Or, hey, you want to do a weeded? Why is that? Um, and I miss him to death. But when it came down to it, it, those are the kind of conversations we had as a kid. And we never wanted to do anything else. We just love what we do. And I think you really have to be passionate to get into the distilled spirits um, industry in general. This is not a, by any means a get quick rich industry. This is something that you're investing for your family, for your kids and for, you know, the long term. And, you know, it's ultimately a blessing to be able to see that and being able to watch, you know, as it transforms and as it grows, as it adapts and changes after different markets, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Are you telling me that after 179 years, you're not rich? I'll tell you what, it, <laughs> it's something that we wake every day. I mean, we got here at what, 630 this morning. We put our boots on. We've got out to the Pinot Gris Vineyard, started harvesting. We'll be here till 630 tonight or seven o'clock and back at it again at 6 a.m. But it's it's agriculture. We're a farm. And at the end of the day, you got to love what you do because that's at the end of it, it shows at the end product. You don't love it. It, it. And it seems like, I mean, I don't know. Is, is it right now because it's harvest time? It's a, a one of those times where no day is alike or, or, or I guess over the span of a year, is that the kind of the, the thing with the, you know, the kind of business that you're running? Uh, there's, there's really no, yeah, no day that's alike. Like we mentioned, I mean, especially this time of year, it's always a fun time of year. We do have long, long days. We have long weeks for sure, but it's so fun to see kind of that culmination of the entire year, that culmination of the summer, that growing season, and kind of seeing the fruits of your labor at that point right now with the grapes, obviously. But then we'll be here towards the beginning of October and start harvesting some of our corn as well, which is kind yeah. of our 2022 harvest of our corn crop, which yeah. Christian mentioned before, and seeing that quality. And it's exciting to get to work with that new kind of harvest of corn, that new harvest of rye, and seeing how that translates into the whiskey. And like I mentioned, you can see that with the grapes right now. And it's just an exciting time. Lots of work to always be done. But then throughout the year, there's always changing aspects of things. We're always kind of pivoting over here, pivoting over yeah. here. And really like I mentioned, just using some of our, our kind of artisanal ship to really create some fun things and to continue to push ourselves as well to yeah. think outside the box each and every day. And I'm full transparent. Like I said, more than just my dad, my brother, and myself, like our entire team, we run with a very small team. I mean, the entire Starlight Distillery, like when it comes down to the production, there's pretty much just me, Blake, dad, Connor, Ryan, and Jesse. I mean, there are six of us that run this entire thing and in the inside the cellar and we surround ourselves with highly motivated people. So, you know, yeah, you might be in for, I mean, what, 90 something hours, this like whenever it comes down to it, but you're still looking at that person next to you and he still has a smile on your face, even though you're there at 2 a.m. because a combine a chain broke and you're already waking up at 6 a.m. But guess what? You go do it because you love what you do. And 
surround yourself with high quality people that want to do that, who continue to push the needle forward and even further. That's who you want to surround yourself with. And that's what Starlight we do. We find those individuals who are motivated, who are talented, and who ultimately want to make the best product at the end of the day. Uh, we've talked a lot about the 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 past and the present. Um, what spirits are currently aging for you all that you're most excited about sharing with the world at some point? We we have been invested into uh, American Malt. We're super excited that um, we're finally getting to eight years on it. Um, as a distillery, we decided that we weren't going to release a malt till it's eight. For um, what we're at seven months or seven years and how many months? I uh, like it. Nine months. Yeah. So we're right there at eight year old malt that we're super excited about. Um, but, you know, we're getting closer to releasing a 10 year old bourbon. I mean, that's a, a milestone in the craft industry. I think a lot of people are chasing to get that first double digit age statement. We're getting as close as we can be with we're within two years now. And, you know, we continue to put more and more infrastructure back to get older age statements. Um, one of the things that dad always told us is that for craft distillation, he always wanted to put back and get those older, you know, what he called uh, competitive brands. We have to run after the heritage guys. And that's what, you know, we continue to do is throwing barrels back that we're proud of. And, you Thank know, you. yeah. Believe me, I, like I always mentioned to everybody in the industry, there's, there's no right on age. Different whiskeys are going to showcase better at different ages. And we're always making sure that whenever we have barrels go to that longer term aging, that they're the barrels meant to age longer that they're because i always like to say when you have the aromatics the mouthfeel the finish and everything comes together beautifully it doesn't matter whether it's a four five six ten twelve fourteen year old product yeah. that bourbon showcases in such an elegant way at that particular time and consumers shouldn't just strictly look at that i only drank 12 year old bourbon because yeah. A lot of products and a lot of brands out there can change your mind on some four, five, six-year-old products. Yeah. And but there's equally as fantastic kind of 10, 12, 14-year-old products. So finding those right things to age longer, kind of really kind of diversifying ourselves, having that for longer term aging. Christian mentioned the malts. And there's a lot of other kind of fun yeah. different mash bills we've experimented over the years with. And as well as different kind of corn varieties that we'll be coming out with that really showcase the differences in style yeah. styles of bourbon and other things as well that really kind of really show to that craft side of the industry. I mean, and using our wine background, I mean, Starlight, as you know, we're a lot into finishing barrels. Obviously, we've uh, we've definitely pioneered a lot of weird and unique finishes that me and Blake have worked on since we're in the wine industry, having those connections and using them in the right way. Um, I won't give you all the details, but um, we have a bunch of fun new uh, finishes that have worked very, very great for what we have been. Um, it's definitely been logistically harder since COVID to be able to, uh, you know, get quality cask on a quality time basis. As you know, wine casks are, uh, extremely delicate to uh, ship from Europe or shipping from the Asian Pacific market and being able to get them over here in a timely manner without spoilage is a little tough during COVID with the shipping logistic crisis. But, you know, we've got high quality casts coming in and, you know, we're really doing some unique experiments on longer term aging on finishes versus short term versus first fills and second fills. So there's a, there's a lot coming out that we're super excited about. And, um, as we grow, as we adapt, we won't give too much information. We're, we're looking to grow. I mean, we have some new infrastructure coming to place, some new pieces of equipment that are really going to help us 
you know, turn out some more barrels and, you know, putting barrels back in the warehouse and growing the footprint of what we are. Um, at the end of the day, though, it was because of you guys and the knowledge from ACSA and being able to be around quality people. And, you know, that gave us the knowledge to be able to be here and say that. I mean, it's you guys at the end of the day that's really helped us grow. Um, we Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, on behalf of all the other distillers out there, because uh, I didn't do anything. Uh, <laughs> um, but all right. So. I'm, first of all, I'm excited to to try all of those things that are coming down the pipe. That sounds uh, really exciting. Um, last question for you is to go even farther into the future. Uh, what what does Huber's Winery and Starlight Distillery look like when it's being turned over to the eighth generation? We really. We really are looking to build a strong kind of cemented foundation just because with such a great boom over the last couple of years for what bourbon, rye, whiskey, and just brown spirits in general have been, we're lo really looking to continue to put back a number of barrels and continue to build our footprint here, both kind of infrastructure, kind of knowledge base, as well as kind of our holistic approach to spirits building that foundation for the future that in the future we continuously have the the passing of that guard the passing of that knowledge that we can have that assurance that we know that we've taken the time the dedication the hours and everything to showcase what that name on the bottle means to us starlight distillery huber winery and we want to continuously carry on that legacy from the six generations prior to us as well, because it's such a great feeling to be a part of this family and to continue to have people out there recognize us as a top brand. And we want to continue that and, and specifically continue to create that foundation through our, through our knowledge, through our infrastructure, so we can continuously make that giant impact and make that a sustainable future for both the farm and the distillery. And then at the end of the day, I mean, being a 179-year-old agricultural-based company, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the sustainability of our farm. You know, we're committed to not only the investments in the family, but the investments in the community and the investments into our soils. You know, we are sustainably farmed, and we continue to even push ourselves even further with that. Um, so going into the eighth generation, we hope we continue to give them a sustainable working farm that's going to be able to, you know, fruit for them as it did for us or even better. I mean, every property that we're picking up, every grower that we pick up, we ask for sustainability. Um, and that's something that's important because we want to see the entire town of Starlight. Um, a lot of people don't know where we got our name from, Starlight Distillery, but it's named after the town. It wasn't named after the family. It's Huber Winery because we're the only great grower of the Huber family. But when it came to Starlight Distillery, many of these families up here in Starlight, Indiana, were you know growing corn for the whiskey community in Kentucky. Um, and we were able to tap on their shoulders and buy a portion of it off them and have it here. Um, but with the, um, what do we call it, the uh, buyout of a lot of family farms and a lot of people turn away, we want to be able to give their farmers an option to give it to their next generation. Um, and that starts with sustainability, soils, and that motivation. And it's super, really, really nice to see, you know, local people in our community passing the torch on to their next gens and being able to sell their corn to our family and being able to watch that go into whiskey. You know, it's just not us giving it to the eighth generation. It's giving the next generation here at Starlight, Indiana, 
know, the opportunity to grow and make some incredible products together. Well, that's our program for today. Thanks again to Christian and Blake Huber for joining us. You can learn more about Starlight and the winery at huberwinery.com. And don't forget to register for ACSA's upcoming convention at americancraftspirits.org. We'll be back in a few weeks. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers. Cheers.